You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. As you can probably imagine, when you record a podcast, there are some things that are kept and other parts that are edited out. When I stop recording, I let guests know that they are quote-unquote off the record and can speak freely beyond the episode content, of course. After today's episode, Shireen Kasim, Chief Experience Officer at Wonderman Thompson North America, which is the world's eighth largest agency, said to me, wow, you don't hold back on the tough questions, huh? And while it was set off the record, I think it's really important to highlight that today's episode and Shireen's role is filled with ethical and moral dilemmas as she advises and creates experiences for the world's most prominent and consumer-reaching brands. Experience design becomes more and more important to us as brands realize that consumers experience or don't experience innovation through all various brand touchpoints, whether that is through marketing or app design or websites, and of course, the products themselves. Shireen is no stranger to designing human-centric experiences in various capacities for brands, both in-house and at agencies. Through her 20-plus year career, Shireen has built, scaled, and led high-impact, multifaceted teams for Fortune 500 companies, agencies, foundations, and startups. Prior to joining Wonderman Thompson, Shireen was the Global Managing Director of Experiences at Huge Inc. and Creative Director at AKQA New York. She has also held leadership positions at Electronic Arts, Friendster, and Walmart.com. Shireen's cutting-edge work has earned her many accolades over the years at Tier 1 award shows. She's a frequent speaker at industry events and has taught at leading colleges such as California College of Arts and the Academy of Art in San Francisco. Passionate about protecting human interests, Shireen is an advisor to the ethics think tank Alltech is Human and discusses how important this aspect of experience design really is today in this episode. Hi, Shireen. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you. So, you know, it's a true honor to get to speak to you today about the role of experience and innovation and to really understand your career trajectory as you took on your role as Chief Experience Officer at Wonderman Thompson North America. Prior to joining Wonderman Thompson, you have created human-centric experiences for a list of clients that reads like a Fortune 500 issue. EA, Google, LG, Walmart, and even the Obama Presidential Center Museum. What was it like to work on retail apps and experiences for for Walmart.com in early 2000s at a time where none of these words were normalized? I mean, it's so good that you're pointing that out because that was exactly the big challenge that we had. And back then, I was still uh, a designer. I was uh, on the visual design side of things. And Walmart in 2001 was ahead of their time. Um, Amazon was barely a blip uh, on the radar for us. And we had uh, the challenge of getting to uh, the retail groups to understand how important digital was. We were trying to explain what digital integration was, though honestly, we didn't know. Uh, So we were figuring it out as we went. Uh, So that was definitely a challenge. 
Um, and then, of course, we had to figure out how to do research in the retail environment for digital things when, when this is a group of people that didn't really um, interact with anything like that. At the time, I think uh, gift registries were the only digital uh, installation that existed in some stores. There were no best practices. There was no consistency, even if you went for uh, ATMs. So from one Bank of America in one corner to another, you would have different interfaces. Some would be solely digital. Some would be a mix of digital and physical buttons. So we really were trying to figure things out as we went. Um, it was a tiny team, and uh, we're still close today. Incredible. And then you went on to a bunch of different companies in between, of course, one of which is Electronic Arts. And there you were director of design and user experience. So I'd love to hear more about that role and specifically about how working in the gaming industry now affects your views on UX and experience as a whole and just this idea of gamification. It's an interesting group, um, EA. When they approached me, it was actually for their commerce division. So they had an idea about uh, doing uh, micro content in a downloadable uh, app. So if you think about iTunes for games back then, that's basically what we were trying to do, give you the ability to download a sword or a shield for your game. And again, we're talking about something that was a little bit too early. Um, but we went on our merry way and, and tried to put this thing together. What was interesting was uh, they didn't really understand a lot about user experience. So, in fact, they were creating user interfaces, um, but they weren't really thinking about it. It wasn't until uh, a woman reached out to me, a very young designer reached out to me from the Sims team. And she said, listen, I'm a UI designer, and I'm wondering if you could help me figure out how to do something. And I said, okay. And so I reached across the aisle, and uh, we sat down together and, and worked out. Um, what UX could look like um, for part of the Sims game, which was pretty great. Slowly, that opened up the door to more games. Um, I ended up doing some work for Battlefield as well, um, which was pretty great. They were out of uh, Sweden, I believe. Um, and I have to tell you, it's some of the most complicated um, experiences is working on games. The flows are unbelievable, especially for those MMOs, um, but really exciting and, and always really fun to work on. Plus, you have to learn how to play the game, which is always good as part of how it works. Are you still a gamer? <laughs> uh, no, I'm definitely not a gamer. I don't even think I was back then, but there were rules where you have to learn how to play the game if you were going to like be part of EA. So <laughs> that was pretty fun. As you went on in your career, you took on a role as Global Managing Director and Global Head of Experience Design at huge and prominent agency pretty early in your career. So what do you think has contributed to the quick ways that you've been able to climb the corporate ladders within the industry? I think a lot of it is I try not to follow the the expected line. So if you go back in my career, even before Walmart, I worked for myself for about 10 years, um, and I never really thought about staying in a particular industry. There's a, there's a history of firsts that are happening, though, and that, that tends to be the theme with me. So um, whether that's Walmart for uh, working on the first like series of digital apps at scale, uh, in a retail environment or Friendster, you know, the first social networking site um, or EA for, for the first digital uh, downloader. Like all of those things are a series of first. Huge is an interesting place for me because I think the entire ad industry, it wasn't where I thought I was going to end up. It, it happened accidentally um, and really because I had to. So uh, after EA, I was exhausted and I took a break and I went back to school. Um, and during those two years, uh, while I was working with my hands, trying to figure out how to, how to play with sensors um, and, and do some stuff around wearables, 
the smartphone revolution took off, iPhone uh, was released. And so what that meant was so were all the apps. And I missed it completely because I was in school. So when I came out, there were no jobs and wearables and my portfolio was terrible. I had nothing in the form of apps. So I contacted a friend, an amazing woman named Margo, and she said, listen, you should join an agency. They're, they're just banging these things out left, right, and center. So I did. Uh, and in doing that, I was able to, to learn more and more and more about that. What I found, though, once I got into the agency world was that the variety that they have there, the speed at which they work, and the access that you have to all the different types of thinkers is actually pretty remarkable and, and something that you don't always find so easily in some of the siloed client organizations. So I really love the fact that I got access to that. And I think going on to an agency like Huge uh, was uh, a really important point for my career because obviously they really value design, and so that was a pretty good place to be. And then just thinking a little bit back, um, you did mention that you fell into this, uh, into huge specifically accidentally, but how did you come about working in experience as a whole? Another accident. Um, <laughs> so I'd like to say that, that my whole career was planned, but it wasn't um, for me. Uh, as the industry was changing, so was I. So I grew up at the same time digital was growing up. I started in print because that's all there was. Um, and then slowly, as the platforms began to evolve, I began to evolve because I used to work for myself. And if I didn't figure it out, well, I wouldn't be able to pay rent. So I had no choice. What was interesting about this for me, though, is that uh, there was a woman that I met uh, very early on in my career. She was one of the original icon designers for Apple, and she became my mentor. Uh, and in becoming my mentor, she's the one who really opened the door for me in terms of uh, graphical user interface and, and opening up like what digital platforms were really all about. And that was when I moved to California and uh, I managed to work for a lot of companies in San Francisco uh, and in the Bay Area. Um, and there weren't a lot of interface designers back then. So uh, we kind of cornered the market, which was great. <laughs> so that worked out really well. And then looking at your role today, you are chief experience officer and are scaling the customer experience practice at Wonderman Thompson, which is, by the way, the world's eighth largest agency. So on your list of responsibilities is creating innovative products and services across both the digital and physical space. Do you see the digital and physical space as silos or interconnected? And if so, how? I see them as interconnected, but I think that's because of the early work that I did at Walmart.com. I think when you go back to then, it never occurred to us that they were supposed to be separate. What happens with a lot of these companies and a lot of agencies is that they end up cutting up disciplines in certain ways, right? Or they cut up capabilities in certain ways, and that's because they want to organize it in the business that way. But that doesn't mean that's the way the consumer or the user looks at things. So for us, if you're a good user experience designer, a good experience designer, you're going to make sure that these things are always integrated and you're looking at things holistically. Because if you don't, you're ultimately cheating the consumer at the end of the day. And then when you think about the second notion, and that's that notion of scale, how do you not lose the human experience as you continue to scale and grow something that is really so personal as UX or UI? 
Yeah, I think staying close to the research side of things is one way to do that, but then also looking at the type of research that you do. So it's not enough to be a designer. It's not enough to be curious. I think when you get involved on the qualitative side of research and you lead with qual, so you're leading with talking to the consumers and understanding what they're going through in the context of the experience, then you'll never lose sight of the humanity involved there. I think when we have things like COVID show up as well, um, that's also forcing us into, into addressing even more like humane experiences to make sure we're taking care of people um, because these are incredibly sensitive times and we're dealing with new levels of emotions and anxieties that, that consumers have not had to deal with before. And how do you personally approach, you know, getting those insights out of that research? Do you like to read between the lines? How do you really take on that process? It's all about conversation. So it's all about really taking your time and really listening to what they're going through. Um, we talk about the word empathy all the time. I think empathy and listening and truly understanding and being curious about what they're going through is one way to do it. And then you spoke about a mentor that you had um, that is from Apple. So how did you go about meeting her? How did you go about really calling her a mentor? Because that's not a lot of, you know, what people can do. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, you know what, I bet to this day she still has no idea she was a mentor for me. So <laughs> that happens I, a lot. <laughs> it does. Um, I always joke that I got the better end of the deal with her. So um, she, my brother was actually consulting for her company, uh, and he said, "Listen, uh, she needs a she needs a designer. You should come meet her. She's pretty great." I said, "Okay." So I went to go meet her, and she said, "Look, if you teach me about graphic design, I'll teach you about UI design." Uh, and I said, okay, but meanwhile, I'm thinking, what on earth can I teach you? Um, and then I ended up like working with her for about five years. Um, and I have to say those, those years were pretty incredible. I learned a lot and I got access to a lot of companies. And some of the things that we were solving for at some of the R&D labs, like at Philips, um, are, I'm only now seeing those products come to life now. So imagine that was 20 years ago. Um, so to see things come to life now is pretty great. Yeah. And then talking about the way that this uh, conversation has evolved, you know, when you look at the lots of different documentaries and books that have come out in recent years, they discuss the danger of creating digital experiences that are perhaps too effective. I'm, of course, referring to things like The Social Dilemma and books such as Weapons of Mass Destruction. You advise All Tech is Human, which is a, a think tank that focuses on creating ethical technological experiences. So how do you personally balance, um, you know, this idea of ethics and then creating products and experiences that draw in audiences? I mean, in all honesty, I think some of us who've been doing this for a very long time do carry some weight on us, uh, perhaps a little bit of guilt. Um, things that are addressed in personalization or called targeting um, are things that we created really with the best of intentions. Um, and then when you see things evolve in certain ways, it's, it's difficult to understand how it got so far away from us. I think me working with All Tech is Human is my way of giving back and helping people understand how to be more responsible. Um, and create more human experiences because that's really what we're trying to do now is we, I don't think we ever want to block anybody from doing something that they that they want to do um, whether that's the company or the individual but I do think we want to provide some parameters on what that should look like and of course if you ask me I believe in choice over anything I like explicit choices um, more than force feeding somebody a decision. Could you extrapolate on that? <laughs> 
Well, I think a lot of times, like we'll make, we'll look at behaviors. I think so much of what we do is based on uh, like how a user is uh, using a particular product or service. And then we try to quote, personalize it. Um, it's a funny little word, personalization, because I think if we're not very careful with that, you can ultimately um, start manipulating behavior and, and changing that in, into ways that perhaps the user doesn't even expect it. I think the social dilemma did a really good job pointing that out, actually. Um, so I think that's something that, uh, that we should all be very, very wary of. The good news is I think a lot of us um, I've yet to have a user experience designer or an experience designer uh, tell me that they're not interested in ethics. So I think that says a lot about the direction that we're going in. If you truly are human-centered, human-centered, if you truly care about the user, then you're going to care about ethics and making sure we're taking care of the user at every step of the way. And then when you think about smaller companies that perhaps don't have the resources or in general maybe aren't putting these issues at the forefront of their work, how do you think that they can innovate using experience? And then what would you say to them is the value of experience for those without the scale? I think there's access to a lot of um, documentation now that, that can help guide you on how to um, design things responsibly. So at this point, I think there's no excuse um, for it. We certainly have... Um, Events. I think I see almost nightly events here in New York uh, about uh, getting out there and, and helping people understand how to ethically use things. So for me, there's just no excuse. Like scale has nothing to do with it. Whether you're by yourself or you're leading a, a team of 10,000, um, you have a responsibility to do the right thing um, and to help spread the gospel of doing the right thing. And then on the flip side of that, as far as commercialization, why do you think that experience contributes to the financial success of brands, small and large alike? I think, well, design has a lot to do with it, like eliminating the barriers so somebody can complete a task from point A to point B has a lot to do with that. Um, and it's good for business, right? So whether that contributes to the bottom line or that attributes to brand affinity, um, it's just really good for business when you take away some of the problems um, rather than provide the user with more problems. I think we've, uh, I've, I've watched this industry evolve over the last 20 plus years. And I think for a while there, I was stripping everything out for simplicity's sake and just getting down to the bare. And, and you think that's going to help. But sometimes we sacrifice clicks for clarity. Like we'll, we'll put more things in there on purpose to make sure that the user's fully aware. So I think, you know, five years ago, people talked about eliminating all friction. Um, but I think now we're realizing uh, that there is such a thing as good friction um, and that can help people make more uh, and better choices. Data is, of course, a tool that is in generally discussed so much, but a tool that is can be very helpful in designing some of the best experiences. But of course, there are ethical questions there and other questions otherwise. What is your stance on this? How would you advise a company? Um, and what are your general thoughts around that? I mean, I think data is hugely important. I think quant is one of the um, one of the pieces of the puzzle that help us make the right decisions for a brand or an individual. I think the way in which we use it, though, is something that, that we're still experimenting with. I personally believe you always lead with quant, with qual, you lead with the human first um, and you talk to the human and then we use quant to validate some of those findings. I think when you see 
data that way, Quant is a validation tool rather than a manipulation tool, then I think we're actually off to, to a better start there in terms of what that experience should look like. I think when you start the other way, I don't know. It doesn't feel right to me. I've never, I've never really been into it, to be honest. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there are many, many, many people that feel differently. And then looking at your role um, at Wonderman Thompson, you've been at the company for about a year and a half. How did this incredible leadership opportunity come about and what's it been like? Oh boy, like so many other things in my life by accident. <laughs> I, um, Wonderman Thompson contacted me because they needed a freelancer. And at the time I was freelancing um, and they said, Hey, we need a freelancer for Volkswagen. And I was like, okay. So I went in there and uh, I met with Joe Kropp, uh, who is the CEO of the New York office. And Joe's a very quiet guy, but then he stood up at the whiteboard and he starts sketching this thing out. I'm thinking, what's this guy doing? And he sketches these pillars and there's a marketing advertising pillar and a product service pillar and a data pillar. And then on top, he wrote, uh, he left it blank. And he said, what do you think this thing is on top? And I said, I think that's, that's the experience that's running everything. And he goes, what would that role be? And I said, that'd be CXO as far as I'm concerned. He's like, great. And then that was pretty much the end of the discussion. And I sat there. And so then we had a little laugh. And then he starts walking into the door. And the whole time I'm thinking, okay, but is there freelance? Like, is like I really, really need some freelance. Um, and so I uh, went away and got a call from the recruiter and said, so what did you think of that meeting? And, and I said, you know, look, it was really interesting. It sounds like they're trying to, um, to build something new. Uh, and I'm interested in, in seeing what that's like. So I got pulled into it and uh, initially to head up the New York office um, and then recently got promoted to North America. Uh, they do, they have a pretty small team overall, but we've been scaling rapidly, which has been great. Um, so it's nice to bring all the learnings that I've had uh, in an effort to, to build something really interesting. Huge congratulations, of course. The work that you're doing is incredible, but I don't have to tell you that. Um, I did want to ask, what have been some barriers along the way? Um, I'm sure you faced some as a woman in, and in other capacities, too. There, there are some barriers, for sure. And in, in all honesty, I think it depends which industry we're talking about. I think in the early years um, where I spent in San Francisco and, and working in the Valley, I didn't come into any. I, I never felt it. If it was there, I certainly didn't feel it. At the time, it always felt like a meritocracy to me. Um, so that you were, <laughs> they were very quick to pretty much ask you if you were smart or not smart. And if you weren't smart, you were shown the door. <laughs> and so that was pretty much the first check. Um, later at other companies, I saw it differently. So at EA, I definitely felt uh, the gender uh, was an issue there. Uh, there were so few of us. The woman, there was a woman who hired me there, though. Um, and consistently, even at some of the male-dominated companies that I've worked at, most of my bosses have been women, uh, which has been uh, sort of by design. I think I prefer that. Um, and that part's been good. And so how did you experience that, like you mentioned, at EA? So when you say you felt it, what does that mean? Mm, there were a lot of closed door meetings. Uh, there were meetings that like, even as a director level that you weren't invited to. Um, and so that can be pretty problematic to have people talk about things that you're working on uh, and you're not part of that meeting. But my partner in crime there, the woman that hired me, um, she is just as forward as I am. And um, we certainly had no problem kicking down those doors when we could find the door to kick down <laughs> 
to, to find out what was going on with that meeting um, and what we could do to affect change there. So it was not, it was not easy. I won't pretend that it was easy, um, but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> and I'm glad I saw it firsthand because it was the first time I really saw it. And then how did you use that experience for the rest of your career? What are some ways that you've battled, you know, gender equality and just, mm-hmm. you know, getting a seat at the table? I think with that one, I think having a partner in crime there really helped. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what the official word for that is. I don't know if that's ally now or, or what that is. But I think when you have somebody with you, you are braver um, in numbers there. And you have a sanity check. Um, and you have somebody to discuss, like, you know, what's your plan of attack going to be in terms of taking this thing on? That's what that taught me. So that when I moved on to other companies and other industries to find those different people, um, if you needed to get something across and for some reason you felt like you weren't getting there, uh, that was really helpful. For those that don't know, you are on LinkedIn and I'm sure you get a ton of requests for recruitment and other opportunities. However, and I will read it out for our listeners, your bio states, thanks for visiting my profile. Our industry could certainly use some new perspective. If you're here for recruiting purposes, please check out the great talent at 28blacks.com, Blacks Who Design, creativewomenofcolor.com, and some others. So what value have you seen in sharing new perspectives in the space and how has your own experience affected the way you now advocate for others? Well, I think I think I had a blind spot and I try to be really honest about this. Um, I was born in the Caribbean and uh, in a country that was, uh, at the time, had a black prime minister. And I always joke that it never occurred to me that you couldn't be a leader and a person of color because that's what I was born into. So I just assumed you could be. It took me a while to realize that when you grow up seeing someone like that, it seems normal. And when you don't, then it's not normal. And so that's, it sounds so silly to say it out loud now, but I'm on my own journey as I try and understand what other folks have seen here. I think for me, we have responsibilities and I I do strongly believe that regardless of what level you're at, you have a responsibility to speak up for those around you. You can't be an experienced designer like myself and say you're all about the human and being human centric and then forget about the organization side of things where you also have to be human centric. Um, That 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 note that I put in my profile is for something called Link It Black. Um, and I think it's Link It Black. Um, that was done by a Wonderman Thompson employee, a guy named VB. Uh, and we were so proud of him. It was a cross-agency um, collective that created this idea. And I think it's a terrific one. And I think if that's one small thing that we can do to get people to see that, that we need to make change in this industry, then, then that's what we do. I love that. We are always looking to help other women grow that tune into this podcast and otherwise as a part of Win Women in Innovation. Are there any resources, books, or even other podcasts that you would like to share or have inspired you in the past and present? Honestly, I'm... I'm I've been surrounded by so many incredible women my whole life. Um, I tend to look to them more than anything else. I would say that the book's amazing, podcast's amazing. All these things are amazing. You've got to find like-minded people or um, somebody that can help you 
um, and listen to you and help guide you through this. Uh, and big bonus if they're a woman, <laughs> but they don't always have to be. I've had, I've also had some pretty incredible male bosses as well um, that have looked out for me and, and taken care of me. Um, and I love that. And I hope I, I give that back as well. So I know it's not exactly the answer because it's not really a resource answer. Getting, get, having a community of women around you, of which I do uh, for decades now, um, has been enormously helpful. So when I think back at Walmart, uh, there was a woman there that I sat next to. Um, she's still my closest confidant today in all things um, professional. We grew up together professionally. And so consequently, we swap stories and strategies all the time. So before I let you go, I would love to ask you an innovation question. Uh, where do you see yourself and your industry in a month from now, in a year from now, and 10 years from now? That is so interesting. So the one month is obviously the easiest one. Okay, we're still going to be uh, in the middle of the COVID thing and adapting constantly, which I weirdly love um, because I think that this adaptation makes us better designers in the long run. It, it helps us be prepared for almost anything. Um, a year from now, I'd like to see even more focus on the users um, and more focus on the human experience. And then 10 years from now, oh boy, like who knows, like jetpacks and cloaking devices. And I'm not even sure what that looks like 10 years from now. I think the industry will persist. I think, I don't think any of these industries will ever really disappear. Um, but I think that what we, we may not be able to imagine what they are like just yet. 10 years is a long time, but we'll see. There's probably a robot or two somewhere. And then a kind of a sub question about, uh, you know, what is some innovation that you are inspired by within the experience industry, whether that is in your periphery or in the work that Wonderman Thompson is doing? I would say the, the biggest surprising thing that I've seen is my own attitude towards VR. So I've never been a huge fan of VR and I have a husband that does this for a living um, and I just never really saw a great use case for it. And then COVID hit. And what's been fascinating is watching how technology is springing back to the forefront of experiences uh, and watching what's happening in the virtual environments um, and the way we're bringing people together when we physically can't be together. So I'm finally seeing the use cases that I've heard so much about actually make sense for the first time, uh, which I think is pretty remarkable. So I would say that's probably the thing that's on my mind the most right now. The second thing I think that's on my mind is less about experiences and more about the uh, guidance to make great experiences, which is our thoughts about uh, people's rights um, and, and any uh, ethical frameworks that we can create around those experiences. I think that that's probably the other big piece that we're going to see more and more people uh, try and access or create their own frameworks. Thank you so, so much for being here today. It was incredible to hear your viewpoints. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.